0: Welcome to the Asia Society Hong Kong Movers and Shakers podcast. Through the short, interactive, 10-minute fireside chat, we get to meet with the leaders and game changers in different industries for insights into their personal journey to success, what they learned, how they failed, and other interesting wisdom they may want to share. Today's podcast is with Esther Wong, Managing Director of SenseTime. Esther is also the founding partner of the SenseTime Industry Fund with assets of over 5 billion RMB. Before joining SenseTime, Esther spent 20 years in the investment banking industry, with her last role being the Head of Equity Capital Markets at Bocom International. With a valuation of over 6 billion USD, SenseTime is China's leading artificial intelligence company with Asia's largest deep learning platform. SenseTime has worked with over 700 domestic and overseas entities including Honda, Qualcomm, China Mobile, Huawei, and Tencent, among others. Its technology encompasses various products such as facial recognition, image recognition, intelligent video analytics, autonomous driving, and medical image recognition. Esther visited Asia Society Hong Kong to conduct the following interview. Esther, thank you for coming. We want to ask you to describe the first hour of your day. What does mm-hmm. that look like?
1: Okay, so um, I am a very early riser. I usually get, get up at around 5.30 and I will spend about 20 minutes to half an hour each day to meditate. So um, that, I felt like that would give me a lot of peace and help my mind to get organized for the rest of the day. Um, I will also do some very slight workout at my, at my home for maybe five to 10 minutes. That's how I usually start the day.
0: So your spiritual practice of meditation, how long have you been doing that?
1: Um, actually, on and off since uh, I got out of college. It's actually quite difficult in the beginning, yeah, sure. um, but I have to force myself, and after a few years, you sort of get used to it. Yeah. How
0: did you get into
1: that? Because I felt like, um, oh, first of all, I'm not a very religious person at yeah. all, Okay. So, but I do believe that there is some kind of rule that governs the world, but may, we might not call it Muhammad or Allah or Jehovah. I don't know what it is, but I felt like there is a kind of principle that guides the goodness of this earth i believe that and i realize that when i do meditate um I, my mind gets more clear and i can sense that positive energy i know it sounds very zang it's not very high tech but yeah. i feel very strongly about it I and i actually I, I i try to spread it to my friends as well yeah
0: oh, i definitely agree with that do you find that the meditation helps you make proper sort of decisions in your business life and
1: it helps me to have a, I think it improves my uh Overall, it helps me to see things clearly in its own nature. So I think people these days get distracted very easily by temporary emotions. But when you have a practice of always looking into your inner self and looking into the inner principle of how things work, it puts everything into a more proper perspective.
0: Now, in terms of your sort of daily life, how do you stay organized and productive on kind of a daily, weekly, monthly perspective?
1: Okay, so... Truth be told, I'm not the world's most organized person. It's okay. So my assistant would tell you that I drove her crazy all the time. (laughs) But um, to be fair, though, I think there's one principle that I really believe in. So there is few things in your life that is absolutely vital, and there are things in life that is urgent. And I think it's very important to distinguish the two. So, for instance, playing with my daughter is absolutely vital, but it's not urgent. So having a meeting... um, with a, a particular investors or, or with a particular company. It could be very urgent, but it might not be very vital. So I think it's very important that sometimes people confuse those two and they spend too much time on things that is urgent but not vital versus I would actually make a very conscious effort to make sure that I give equal or give more weighting, in fact, to things that are vital to me. So, for instance, time to myself, such as meditation, uh, time with my family, time with my friends, these are vital things. I don't lose sight on no matter how busy I am.
0: Is there any sort of a productivity, things that are related to that, that help you maintain the difference between vital and urgency, like any sort of apps? or
1: I don't use an app because I'm so used to doing it at this point, but I think um, in terms of my uh, the vital parts, your heart just tells you, so you know what is important. So, the, so I'll give you an example. So no matter how busy I am, um, I will always take my daughter to at least two play dates a week. Great. Okay, depends on at the least. schedule at least two <laughs> um, being the tiger mom I am. Okay. she has a lot of activities, but I will make sure at least like two times out of a week I spend quality time with her in the, in a day setting on top of everything else. but um in terms of work um of course there is a diary um, yeah. um, okay, of course. There's a diary. My assistant would be very diligent, in reminding me what to do, what the, uh, what is the uh, routine of the day, and also I felt like a lot of times my day is planned um, in the beginning, in the five, in the first five five and a half um, hours. Um, five when I woke up at five thirty, hmm. I will actually run through what the day is going to be like hmm. mentally when I do the meditation, so that helps a lot.
0: You're obviously a very um, thoughtful when it comes to your relationship with your daughter, and I think you're going to be quite a good mentor with that. <laughs> uh, but in your I will life. Try. What are some influences that you remember, uh, whether it was your father, mother, uh, teacher, a mentor, that, and what was an important lesson that someone you respect in your past taught you that you'd like to pass on?
1: When I first started working on Wall Street, um, I think my mentor, my men, one, of my, one, of, one of the mentors that I really helped to shape my career a lot is my first boss. Um, so she was, the, uh, she was a very successful banker on Wall Street. Um, before I started working for her, um, I, I first started off as her assistant, as her, um, uh, not a secretary, but more like a, a work-related assistant. And so before I started working with her, uh, I've been told by a lot of people that, oh, she is extremely difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, she switches assistant almost every other quarter. Wow. So it's a little bit like the movie. Um, there was a movie about the Devil, Devil Wears Prada. Right. It's actually very similar to that situation. Well, of course, I, I didn't know that movie before. I didn't know, know that book before. You were but living it. I was actually <laughs> living it. and But then I realized after I worked with her for a few weeks, we clicked so well. Right. And I think the reason is because she's a very exact person. So she, she tells you exactly what she wants. She doesn't embellish anything. She doesn't tell you uh, when you're doing a poor job, she will tell you in your face. But I absolutely love that. Mm. And because of that, I was able to do, a, um, do more. Right. And because she expect very, very highly, uh, she expect a lot from me. Right. So, and me being me, that I don't want to disappoint, I always try to do that plus a little bit more. So Excellent. it becomes a very healthy dynamic. And the two of us, we end up working so well with each other. Mm. So I think one of the things that she told me is she, never, she always hire people that she sees the potential as someone can be smarter than her. That's always good. <laughs> and I really took it to heart because, um, first of all, that means she also think that maybe part of me is potentially can outdone her, which is a stem of confidence in me. But also I believe that only very confident people mm. can hire or can have the circle of friends or of friends or colleagues that, that actually in some way exceed them. Oh. So that is advice I took to heart. Okay. So I try to surround myself with people that I think are smarter than me.
0: Right. Well, that's, a, that's a wonderful piece of advice. I think there's a law around that where you're supposed to be the average of the five people that you spend the most time with.
1: (laughs) I'm probably below average. I'm surrounded by people that are super smart.
0: Well, that makes you, your average, better.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm the one who draws down the average.
0: (laughs) That's always a good thing. I think you always wanted to be... Always wanted to be not the smartest person in the room. No, you wanted to learn from everyone. Yes,
1: right? absolutely.
0: And you sort of you transition that into sort of everything you do now in your career and your social yeah, life. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially in a place like SenseTime, you're constantly surrounded by extremely brilliant minds. Mm. Uh, AI is obviously the fourth industrial revolution, and we're at the forefront of AI. So people that you work with, um, including the founders, the engineers, the research people. They are super insightful and super smart. Um, so I feel very fortunate to be in this platform that I, there is someone I can constantly learn from. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Interesting. So you're consistently dealing with amazingly brilliant people on a day-to-day basis. Um, in, in your career, what do you think is more important, EQ or IQ?
1: That really depends on the stage of your career. I think when you're young, when you're starting off doing very technical work, the ability to learn very quickly on a technical issue is very important. But as you move up the ladder, uh, as you become more and more a manager slash leader role, there's difference between a manager and a leader, but you eventually, you want to be a leader. Um, you need to inspire people and that requires a lot of EQ.
0: Can that be trained?
1: Um, if you're a fast learner, yes. Okay. Yes, I would say yes and no. Um, the big part is about your personality. Right. So if you are naturally very caring person and very a uh, warm person, people will gravitate towards you. Mm. Then it's easier than people that's naturally more introverted. Right. But that is not to say an introvert cannot be a great leader.
0: Right. Exactly. So
1: it's, it's definitely trainable.
0: Some of the best leaders are started off as introverts. Absolutely. Right?
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Were you an introvert?
1: Mm. I think that I'm a closet introvert, yes. Okay. So when I'm, uh, I love reading, I love to spend a lot of time by myself. Oh, excellent. But I also feel that if I'm in a crowd, I don't feel very, I don't feel a lot of unease, put it this way. Okay. I don't have to force myself to socialize with other people.
0: Right, that's a good skill. You're kind of a chameleon when it comes to. I think
1: I'm okay, but I think I'm more like a naturally introvert person. So on holiday, I would prefer to just stay home and read.
0: Right. That's a, that's a, we'll come back to that. In <laughs> but uh, early in your career, um, you went by uh, the name E Wong. Yes. E W. E W. Oh, even even more with the sort of the Asian part, I guess. That's right.
1: That so you, you neutralize both the both the both the female and the race. Wow.
0: So. Um, I mean, so for the younger sort of generation coming in, I mean, there is still a little bit of a, a stigma in, in, in some, um, in, whether it's in finance or technology. Is there any advice there that you want to give from what you've learned going by EW in the beginning? Of your
1: <laughs> well, um, I, feel, I felt like uh, if I can give some advice to my younger self, hmm. uh, one of the piece of the advice I would give is that you just have to be a lot more confident and you have to voice out your opinion more. Okay. Because, looking back, I realized a lot of times even do even though I knew I was right, I have to wait to everybody else's approval before I actually raise my hand. so that has been a constant theme when I was younger. I need to seek other people's approval. I think that perhaps applies more to girls than to boys in some ways, unfortunately, and if there's advice I can give to my younger self and to give all our audience that is uh, listening here. If you believe in something, you don't have to wait for other people's approval. You just have to voice it, Right. because your opinion count just as much as the other person's. So just voice it.
0: Just speak up.
1: Yes, and absolutely. You don't just need... speak up. Okay. Yes.
0: Well, that being said, is there any? Um, can you think of any sort of your greatest failure in life that led to a success, or a
1: <laughs> from that? Um, greatest failure in life. Um, I believe you're referring to career-wise. So one of the one of the thing that I felt like I'll put it this way I don't feel like I have a lot of regrets because I always quite brave in terms of getting out of my comfort zone mm. that's all something that separate me from a lot of people because I right. feel quite comfortable sometimes in in a in a, in, in an interesting way I, can, I feel quite comfortable to try to try to fail a little bit so that I know where my boundaries are so that's something that I've always done since I was a kid um, but Sometimes I felt like the only regrets I have is I haven't tried hard enough. So for instance, uh, when I was uh, starting off, uh, there was during the internet bubble. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine actually invited me to join a startup that he founded, which eventually went under. Okay. So at the time I look at it and oh, thank God I did not join that startup, right? But now I'm thinking about 10 years, 20 years later, right. it might not be a bad thing that I tried because that would mean some other experience that I would never have experienced right. otherwise. Yeah. So if you try and experience early on in life, the impact is being compounded more naturally. Exactly. So I think at that time, um, uh, I don't have a lot of regret. I won't say this is a regret, but but I I think if I can go back in time, I wouldn't mind actually taking slightly more risk hmm. in my career. Because when I first started, obviously Wall Street was all the rage. Right. But... Uh, I can tell myself that, you know, you can chill, you can relax and take some risks. Yeah. Because you know, the greatest security blanket is your own capability. It exactly. doesn't matter where you go, you, will, you will always have that.
0: Yeah, you'll always be yourself. You'll always have that. You'll always will... be
1: fine regardless where you land, so might as well just take some, you can afford to take more risk.
0: Exactly. It's, it's all building your character and your uh, Absolutely. Sort of lessons.
1: Absolutely. Oh, that's excellent.
0: Well, what's one of the most worthwhile investments that you've ever made?
1: Investment. You, you, I, I assume you mean career-wise. It could
0: be career-wise, or it could also be like um, th- things that you, you you've done for yourself um, with education or um, experience.
1: If I well, education obviously is a big investment because it is an investment of time and money. And um, I actually did a switch uh, when early on in my in my when I was a teenager. My first degree was actually in hotel management. Uh, because my dad was in this uh, sector so it was considered a fairly safe career path for me and I actually graduated already but I took the risk. I felt like this is not my real calling so I took the risk and I went to the States and I studied something completely different at the time it was actually physics. And uh, then I realized that, you know, to be a great scientist, you need to get a PhD. Right. And I don't feel like I have the kind of patience and tenacity to get PhDs. So I switched to economics and political science. But um, the investment that I made, or I'll just say the investment slash risk that I did at the time was I gave up a fairly predictable mm-hmm. uh, secure life as a, a hotel specialist, or hotelier and instead I went to do something that is completely different. In fact, at the time, my, my parents were so pissed at me that <laughs> they didn't talk to me for six months. Wow. Wow. <laughs> no financial support, no whatsoever. Wow. But I just felt like this is not what I want to do so I took the risk and eventually, obviously, they love me so. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they become supportive. That's
0: an amazing risk. They just,
1: they just need to know that I really mean it before yeah. I gave up something that they planned for me. Exactly. Yeah
0: definitely brave, especially at a young age, to to make I was, that type of
1: yeah. I was actually I graduated early. Too. I was thinking I was nineteen at the time.
0: Wow. That's yeah. it's a very mature decision. Uh, yeah, very at, at that age.
1: Always a risk taker.
0: Wow, that, that, that's a wonderful <laughs> trait. Um, books. You said you were a big reader. Um, I love reading. Yeah. yeah. So um, instead of like uh, top books, uh, what is a <laughs> book that you would you've gifted the most, for example?
1: Oh, then I definitely have one. It's called A Brain That Changes Itself by Dr. Norman Deutsch. It's basically a book about brain's uh, plasticity. Mm. So normally you felt like all the prefrontal lobe is about emotions and the temporal lobe is about hearing, for instance. But they did studies on patients that with stroke so maybe half a brain is fried. Right. They want to see how the brain has re- remapped and rewired, and study has shown that the brain is completely capable of rewiring, even for the different region. Right. So you, the temporal region can be for touch, for instance, mm-hmm. in some kind of stroke patients. Now, why is this book so, some, something that I really regifted the most? Is because even though on paper this is a scientific book, right. it's a science book about medicine. Mm-hmm. I personally find it hugely inspiring. Because what is the implication when your brain can be rewired? Right. It means that at any given age, you're never too late to learn something. Exactly. That is really inspiring. There is a story about a book where someone becomes a bank teller at the age of twenty something, mm-hmm. and then they can calculate faster than a calculator at that time. At that time, right. But that person was always considered bad with math. Oh. So your brain constantly, you know, we've been told that constantly mm-hmm. that, oh, whatever you learn as a child, you learn faster. When you become adult, you learn slower. And when you become mm-hmm. older, it's even harder. But in in reality, it's not the case. Mm-hmm. So they did a study. When you have a stroke, let's say if your left brain is, has a stroke, naturally, your right part of your body cannot move. Right. Right. So the conventional wisdom is that, oh, you do physical therapy maybe twice or three times a week. Mm-hmm. And then try to get your right part moving. Right. But, what they did was an extreme example that if your right part cannot move they tie your left hand okay so you're forced you're to forced use your to, right. your right hand and see what happened and they realized that shocking result came out in fact your right, right hand and your right leg is movable yeah. when your left hand is being told cannot be moved and that to me is hugely motivational because drug patients usually they're not young people mm-hmm. so if older people in the 50s 60s 70s can learn what is stopping me from learning? What is stopping you from learning? It's, you are the greatest enemy, greatest obstacle of learning. You yourself is the greatest obstacle. Oh,
0: that's interesting.
1: So I'm going to give you that book, by the way. Yeah,
0: <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. So
1: this is a book that I find extremely inspiring. Wow,
0: okay. Thank even you.
1: though it's a science read. Well, I
0: mean, it's not just science. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful lesson in that we put limits on ourselves. Then,
1: Absolutely. And we
0: don't know our capabilities. Yes. Wow.
1: Yeah, you're capable of a lot more than you think you can. Your brain is capable with a lot more than you think you can.
0: Do you think that the education system has a responsibility to explore that more, I think, in sort of a, its current curriculum? I don't think it's... it's it's.
1: The curriculum in Hong Kong, I can only speak on behalf of Hong Kong because mm-hmm. I, I spent. Majority of my uh, informative year, formative formative years in Hong Kong, I felt like um, it's probably not the best in mm-hmm. terms of having to explore your your the subject that you love. Right. I remember the first time I went to the States, um, I, I felt like I was a kid in a candy store. Right. So I was never a good student in high school. I went to a fairly good high school, and my headmaster can tell you can testify to you that I was a terrible student. In fact, okay. so I was always um, I I didn't really always fail, but I never really got super good grades. It's always on the bottom quarter, i put it this way.
0: because you were bored?
1: Um, I, You know what, I always skip school, but I would skip school to go to the library. Mm. Like I would just read novels that I like to read and I would not be in the classroom. So I was never a good student, but when I was in the States, I felt like I was a kid in a candy store because mm. you have electives, right? right? So you can study okay. whatever you want to study. Yes. And I would—I feel so inspired by all these um, knowledges that I didn't get to learn once in high school. So going back to your question, what is the point of education? I felt like the way that, at least in Hong Kong, the education is to get some information into your brain versus I felt like the true education should be learning how to learn. Right. So if you actually learn how to learn, then you become a lifetime passionate learner and that's how you prepare yourself for the world because the only thing that constant in this world is change. Exactly. Right, so this is something that I always want to tell my my, my, my daughter, as well as, well as my nieces, is, is that I always want to prepare them to have the passion for learning. Passion. That is the best thing. Because yes. once you kill the passion for learning, then your life becomes pretty miserable.
0: So, investing in yourself and learning to learn.
1: Learning to learn is so important. And I felt like learning about different opinions is also very important. So, um, for whatever, uh, for instance, I might have a particular political view, mm-hmm. but I would always actually subscribe to the exact opposite um, publishing with the opposite political view because I felt like I need to know what everybody else is reading or absorbing for them to form that view so that I can have a better, more informed decision when it comes to my own view. So I would purposely read about very different things and opposite things.
0: I mean, that falls under the sort of... uh uh, the method of Asia Society being open to every <laughs> point of view uh, and letting Great. everybody sort of be, um, come to their own opinions and Great. just a platform. Great. Well, that's excellent. Oh, well, I mean, uh, you know, a couple of final questions. Uh, I, I think you already touched on this about advice you'd give to your younger self. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe it's just some parting words, say, to your, your daughter when she reaches, you know, 15, 25, 30, <laughs> what would you uh, uh, want to sort of uh, tell her um, as final wisdom?
1: So I, was, I, would, I would tell her that, uh, which is completely opposite from what my parents tell me, mm-hmm. but uh, making money is really not important. Um, you yourself is the greatest security blanket. Your own capability will carry you through life just fine. So follow your heart and do whatever you want. And don't make any career decision based on monetary reward, but based on your passion.
0: And finally, it's Asia Society's coming up on its 30th anniversary in January of 2020. Um, Could you describe what your first trip to Hong Kong was and what was your initial impression?
1: Wow, okay. So my family moved to Hong Kong when I was three. So my first impression of Hong Kong was my dad took me and my brother to Victoria Park. Okay. Yes, and we were playing kites. Okay. And I remember vividly that um, my first impression when I was three years old with a kite, I was running around Victoria Park feeling very happy, and my dad took pictures of me and my brother. That was actually not just my first memory of Hong Kong. It's my first memory ever. Wow. Wow. Yes, so I love Hong Kong.
0: Well, well, Hong Kong loves you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That concludes that. Thank you for your time. Uh, Thanks, uh, Joe. We look forward to having you at more future Asia Society events uh, and imparting this wisdom.
1: Thank you so much, Joe. Uh, Appreciate it. Thank you.